My name is Jack Buckley. Today I'm going to be interviewing Dr. Natalie Moreland on behalf of the Training Engagement Committee of the Society of Neuroscience and Anesthesiology and Critical Care. Dr. Moreland did her Neuroanesthesia Fellowship at Northwestern, and she currently is a member of the Neuroanesthesia faculty here at UCLA. Her clinical interests include neuroanesthesia and anesthesia for spine surgery. She is also currently an active member of the Education Committee for SNAC. Today we are going to be discussing how to approach patients with delayed emergence after a craniotomy. Thanks, Jack, for having me. In my patients who have just had craniotomies who are experiencing a prolonged period of time for emergence, um, I like to think of three main causes for the reason for this delayed emergence. First of all, I try to rule out any anesthetic reasons. If volatile anesthetic was used, I make sure that that's all breathed off. Examine the further effects of IV agents such as propofol, dexmedetomidine, or ketamine if used. Review the record for any opioids given, um, and even preoperative benzodiazepines in a short case could cause delayed emergence. And then after anesthesia, there are also metabolic causes, such as hypoxemia, CO2 narcosis from a significant respiratory acidosis, metabolic acidosis, and even severe electrolyte abnormalities can delay awakening. For example, a sodium less than 120 can cause drowsiness. And temperature less than 34 degrees may also cause it. And then finally, which I think is, is more important in craniotomy patients, is ruling out neurologic causes. Now, I think that's a very uh, detailed um, differential diagnosis. How do you start to rule out some of these different causes? So first, I quickly try to rule out causes that are unrelated to neurosurgery. So first, for the anesthetic causes, I just take a look at one, that the vaporizer has been turned off. I can check the pupillary exam for constriction from narcotics. Residual anesthesia from propofol infusions, which are commonly used in neurosurgery, can sometimes be difficult to predict, and I find that abyss monitor or other processed EEG can be helpful. So the trend of those values or even reapplying the monitor and evaluating the EEG at that time could be helpful. And then I also check that the patient has been adequately reversed from muscle relaxant. If there's no good anesthetic cause, I would move on to checking an ABG just to verify that the patient's being adequately oxygenated and ventilated and to rule out any significant electrolyte abnormalities or acidosis. Now, your third differential that you mentioned was some of the neurosurgery causes. Um, how do you like to work up those type of issues? Yes, yeah, so first to get an idea for what may be going on neurologically, again, one can examine the pupils and if there are any abnormalities, I would alert the surgeon right away. Do a neurologic exam with the patient emerging or with the patient still intubated. So checking a gag reflex and seeing if there's any response there or evaluating for any purposeful movement that the patient's making or, any, or if there is any movement to painful stimuli. Specific to intracranial surgery, um, there are several neurologic complications that we consider postoperatively when the patient has delayed emergence. There could be an intracranial hematoma, for example, in a tumor resection bed. The patient could be seizings. They could have non-convulsive status epilepticus or even be in a post-ictal state. ICP increases are also a concern, and this can occur in tumor patients who develop rebound vasogenic edema. 
And finally, a new ischemic event is always a possibility, and I worry about this specifically after carotid or intracranial aneurysm clipping surgery where a disruption of blood flow occurred. And finally, if a patient still has delayed emergence, sometimes we see a large amount of pneumocephalus on the post-op CT, and this is what explains the delayed emergence. So if you have a patient that's not making purposeful movements, they're not opening their eyes, but you notice that they're bucking on the endotracheal tube, would you extubate this patient so that you could do neurologic checks? No, I would not extubate the patient just for the purpose of allowing neurological checks. I would only extubate the patient if I, if I thought the patient could safely protect their airway. So signs of this would be purposeful movements such as reaching for the tube, spontaneous eye opening, and presence of a gag reflex. So assuming you've ruled out the first two uh, issues that you've brought up, the anesthetic causes and the metabolic causes, and you think this is more likely to be a neurologic cause, how would you approach this patient? After ruling out non-neurologic causes of delayed awakening, I would immediately discuss this with the surgeon, and most likely the next step in the workup would be to obtain a STAT head CT, which would reveal hematoma, pneumocephalus, or cerebral edema, and a contrast CT or an MRI could evaluate for ischemic stroke if this is high on the differential. If there's a concern for elevated ICP, the head CT is also helpful. One can see signs of uncle herniation, mass effect, or midline shift on the head CT. And if it's felt that the patient does have an elevated ICP, the surgeons may place an external ventricular drain, which is a small catheter, which is placed into the ventricles of the brain. And this catheter can do two things. It can, one, accurately measure the ICP and also can actually drain CSF, which is therapeutic for the patient's elevated ICP. And finally, of course, if there is concern for seizure activity being the cause of delayed emergence, a STAT EEG can be obtained to determine if the patient is seizing. Is there any specific neurosurgical patients that you think are at an increased risk of delayed awakening? Yes, so I would say that any patient with a preoperative neurologic deficit, such as preoperative confusion, obtundation, or or any altered mental status is at risk for delayed awakening. Well, Dr. Moreland, thank you for taking the time to talk to us today. I think this will be very informative uh, for residents and other members that are uh, listening to this podcast. Thank you so much.